Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, into LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Hey audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have John Kasman from uh, Midwest. Uh, he primarily focuses uh, in the Midwest market and uh, you know he's from Cincinnati and I think uh, he does some deals on the uh, Southwest as well, right? So hey John, welcome to the show. Hey James, thanks for having me on the show today, man. Excited to talk to you and your audience. Yeah, yeah. So I want to make sure I give you a really good introduction. So why not you introduce yourself, <laughs> right? So that'll be the best. There you go. You want a great intro? Do it yourself. No. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you can tell all the things. <laughs> I don't want to miss out anything. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, look, let's keep it uh, top line, right? So we are investors, uh, multifamily investors. We partner with other investors as well. So everyday people, retail investors. We've helped people get into $90 million worth of real estate, primarily mm-hmm. in the Midwest and Southeast regions. And mm-hmm. uh, I live in Cincinnati, as you mentioned. We love this part of the country. We think there's some great opportunities out this way. And uh, happy to talk a little bit more about what that is. But to give you a little bit of context, I came from corporate America. Like a lot of your listeners was working a W-2 job and was trying to figure out how do I create some passive income, but also not be solely relied upon this job just in case something happened or, you know, life kicked in. And quite frankly, as I got to the point where I started having my own family, those things just became more and more important. I found myself with just working really hard, long hours and uh, not necessarily, I mean, I got bonuses and, and pay increases, but certainly not the upside with equity that I was really seeking. So that kind of led me down a path to say, okay, Okay, let's invest in real estate and, and ultimately got me to where we're at today. Got it, got it, got it. I think the deals that you guys invest, I mean, where is it primarily? Is it more Midwest? Because I think you had a few other locations. Yeah, most of the, the current portfolios in the Southeast region. So Texas, okay. Florida, North Carolina, or South Carolina, I should say. And um, we do have some stuff in Ohio and we love this part. So we're moving forward with deals in Kentucky and uh, we love Indianapolis. We keep looking at deals in Indianapolis. So we kind of like the growing part of the Midwest. So, you know, those markets is, are really where we're focusing our energy going for okay. okay yeah i mean it's usually it's really good pretty stable market that's what i heard about so do they have like large apartment complex like 200 300 units like what we have in texas here yeah absolutely they're they're there um mm-hmm. it, it depends on the city though because what will happen is like with cincinnati it's a great city but within the core of cincinnati uh mm-hmm. similar to chicago where i used to live for eight years you don't have huge apartment complexes in the city mm-hmm. you know you have some smaller ones some older apartments but those bigger 200 300 unit communities those are going to be more of the suburbs, right? So you don't see that quite as much in the city of Cincinnati. Now you go to other markets, so like Louisville, and you do have that. So you see more of those apartment buildings, not just in the the, the suburbs, but also in the, the urban core as well. So depending on where exactly you're investing, Indianapolis, Louisville, you see more of that. Chicago, Cincinnati, not quite as much. So let's go a bit more detail into this market, right? I mean, you have seen the Midwest market and you have some investment on the Southeast mm-hmm. and um, like Texas, Florida, 
maybe Georgia, I'm not sure. But, you know, what do you see primarily? Why does the Midwest market is, a, you know, it's an interesting market or a different market compared to this, you know, Southeast region, which is, you know, considered to be the growth engine, right? I, I'm not sure, but, you know, I don't want to be blindsided by just the market that I buy, but, you know, I want to be really open and talk about other markets as well. Well, I spent 15 years of marketing and part of our marketing was market research, understanding trends, dynamics, you know, millennials and Gen Z and all that different stuff. So you really have to start with that before we could get into the multifamily. So Mm -hmm. let's start with where people are moving. Okay. We see that there's a migration to the coastal cities, particularly Texas. Um, I said cities and states, right? So Florida, Georgia, Texas, people are moving south for a couple of reasons. One, warmer weather. People Mm -hmm. like to be in warmer weather climate. Mm -hmm. Two, um, jobs. You see companies are moving into these states, which are usually more business friendly. Mm -hmm. So the jobs are going there. People are following where the jobs are. But three, the cost of living. So when you look at California, Chicago, New York, the taxes have gotten so high for many people and the cost of living is so high, rents so high that it's now no longer affordable for many people. And keep in mind that as rents go up, as the cost of living goes up, the cost or the, the compensation, you know, the pay scale has not matched that. So you have this big push, right, for for increase on minimum wage and all these different things. What people may not realize is that the, the, the compensation just hasn't matched the overall cost of living increase. So what does that do to your everyday person? And we're seeing this with the pandemic, right? This played out big time. If you're living in an apartment, you're paying $2,500 in rent. Um, if you have to live in an urban core, you got to live in Manhattan, New York City. You got to live in downtown Chicago or be close to work. You, you can deal with it, right? You can live with that. But the moment you don't have to live or, or be close to downtown, or you're not as worried about the nightlife because you're not doing that stuff anyway, then you start asking yourself, well, why am I paying so much money for rent? And then people start to reevaluate their life. So now they're moving to the suburb or they're moving down south where the cost of living is so much better. So the cost of living, I think, is a really important driver. And when you look at that, the southeast region and the Midwest, they fare very well. Um, you see people moving from New York, from Illinois, from these high cost tax states into these lower cost states because they're able to attract jobs and the overall well-being is easier for them. And at the end of the day, people are trying to make sure that they have the money to do the things they want to do. Um, I spoke to an investor just yesterday who moved from, you know, up in Oregon, right up there in the Portland area down to Louisville and his rationale one that was home for him. So you have all these people who maybe left home to go chase the the lifestyle and maybe go to a great college or get a great job in a city doing a thing you love. And now they're like, wait a minute, if I can work remotely, why the hell am I going to pay $2,500, $3,000 to be here when I can go home, pay half of that and basically increase my own compensation by saving so much in rent. So I think you're seeing a lot of that accelerated. I want to figure out more the Midwest states. Do you see anything unique on the Midwest side that makes it a, a good market in terms of a very stable market compared to like Texas? Do you know that? Anything? Yeah, first of all, I think there are a couple of things. One, it's very stable. So the Midwest markets, we don't get the run-ups that some of these other markets get. So let's just talk, uh, and I'll use Phoenix as an example. And I like the Phoenix market. I want anybody to think that, that I'm picking on Phoenix, but Phoenix is a bit more cyclical, right? When the market's going great, we see the you know prices for Phoenix kind of kind of take off. If we hit a dip though, we've seen that drop as well, where maybe there's not as much interest in people running over to, to Phoenix. You don't see that volatility as much in the Midwest. It's really more stable. It's really more consistent across the board. So that's one of the things that's really appealing. You have to understand the companies and the culture of the Midwest too. The people who are here are pretty comfortable being here. You know, they, they like this place. Many of them don't plan on moving. It, you know, I, again, as someone who's moved around a lot, it's surprising to me that the attitude is just different. Like here in Cincinnati, one of the things people ask you is like, oh, what high school did you go to? Like, I'm 
not even from here. So people were looking <laughs> like, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm and I'm like, why are you asking what high school I went? To? Like, it's just weird. But for them, from a cultural standpoint, most people, if they go away for college, they come back. So the way they know each other is like, again, what school did you go to? What high school did you go to? When I lived in Chicago, it was, hey, what college did you go to? Right. And it wasn't so much about high school because they already knew you weren't from Chicago. Oh. It was more about where did you come from? Because you had a lot of younger professionals who went to Chicago to to kind of grow. So culturally, you have more stability based on those things. You understand who your renter is going to be. You understand what they're looking for, what stage of life they're in. Those things I think are really important. When we look at other markets, um, sometimes they share those characteristics, especially the Southeast region, because in the Southeast, you get a lot of that too, where people are here, they've been there for a long time. They're not really looking to move and they're kind of settled and, and set in their way. When you talk, talk about a market like Texas, Texas is seeing a lot of great growth and that's phenomenal, right? Um, you're seeing a lot of growth. Part of that is also driven by developers and other people coming in. So while you just look at the raw population numbers, that could be extremely exciting for investors like us, right? To see, oh, a lot of people moving to Dallas, a lot of people moving to Texas, that could get you really excited. The one thing you got to keep in mind though, is that a lot of developers are building brand new apartments to, to welcome in all of those new um, individuals. So if you think about investing at a very high level, it really comes down to supply and demand. And in the Midwest, you're just not going to see as much brand new construction, especially of like class B, class C stuff. You're just not going to have that happen, right? You're going to see that more in places where people are really bullish, like Texas or, or Florida. You're going to see a lot more new construction, class A luxury apartment. And if you're investing in you know more class B or, or C type products, again, in the Midwest, you're just simply not going to have as much competition. So uh, we think that stability makes it a great investment opportunity. And it's something that we went through when we evaluated all sorts of markets and really just took a look at where we felt some of the best opportunities were for us. Got it. Got it. So let's go about some of the skills that you have built from you know being, uh, I think, probably in the corporate world, right, where you do a lot of advertising, marketing, right? How did you figure that out that you can marry that skill with your multifamily investment? How? What was the aha moment? Yeah. I mean, listen, it took me a while to figure it out, right? Because multifamily was, was presented to me as this this big you know hairy commercial real estate thing right uh -huh. and and people try to make it so challenging you got to go get your ccim and there's all these courses you need to take and you know they, they make it really complicated and what i found is you can really break it down and things are as complex as you want them to be so for me when i really understood this is just another business and every business comes down to kind of those business those business departments right so you've got your market marketing, you've got your finance, you have your operations, you have your HR. When you understand those components, now this became very practical. So I relied on my 15 years of corporate experience in marketing and advertising to really understand how to drive this business. You know, how do we find deals? How do we find leads? How do we build broker relationships? How do we gain new clients? How do we, you know, increase our, our pipeline of opportunities? Those are the kind of things where when you really step back, it's really a business thing, you know, and, and it's not this different on commercial real estate. You got to do this. You need to be able to speak the lingo. You need to be professional. You need to be credible for sure. But it's really about understanding the business operations. So once that kind of clicked for me, we started to see a lot more traction that, hey, you know what? Stop trying to do it the way every other commercial real estate investor is doing it and just rely on the skills that you've been able to develop over 15 years. And once, like I said, once that happened, you know, we were able to put some systems in place and processes in place. Not to mention, we also just built a team, you know, and I think it's really important for people starting out to surround yourself with the right people. And that was one of the things we did as well was just say, okay, who do we need on our team? 
Do you want to mentor or coach somebody who can look over your shoulder and just make sure you're looking at things the right way? Do you need someone with more experience on your team? Do you need a, you know, a great broker, a great property manager, great construction team? You know, once you have those pieces to the pie together, just like any other business, you're not going to create something if, if you don't have the team to execute that product or service, you're going to go build that team and hire those folks to come work with you. So that was really the biggest thing. If you do that, now you're in a position to grow. So we've been able to kind of really pivot and you know, move out of just the corporate experience to bring those uh, those different elements together to grow our business. Got it. Got it. So can you share a few tips or at least one tip where you can share with our listeners and audience about something that you have figured out that not many people have or you used certain skills of that comes with you, you know, to either find a deal or raise money or, you know, establish a relationship with brokers? Yeah, let's talk about market research first. And I'm happy to talk a little bit more about some of the other things. Right. So um, we were talking about markets before. And in the marketing world, in the business world, you have to understand who the audience is for whatever product or service you're creating. So that was something we spent a lot of time doing, you know, whether that was developing what we called an avatar and really understanding who this person is, right? We, we named this person, you know, he had a name and, you know, this is, you know, when I worked on Mountain Dew, for instance, Mountain Dew was one of the brands I, I worked on. And um, we had a, a target, you know, we had, we knew his age, you know, our, our sweet spot was a 13 to 21 year old. Uh, we knew where he lived. He lived in a major urban city. So picture, you know, Chicago or picture New York. He was into skating and he was into music and he was into specific sports like, you know, skateboarding and basketball and things like that. Um, he was into fashion, street fashion, right? Urban fashion. So when you understand the nuances of who this person is, now we understand the challenges that they face. What are their options? What's the comp competitors out there? And if you can get that deep, you gain some clarity of how you can fit in. And this is the same kind of thing. When you're thinking about the market, I could go in Texas and, and compete with you, James, right? But how many guys are in Dallas? How many guys are in Texas? And what makes me think that I have the ability from the Midwest to go out and compete with all you guys in Texas, right? There are deals all over the country. So for me, I had to look at it and say, what's our competitive advantage? Well, I'm in the Midwest. I've lived all over the Midwest. I have ties here. I've been in Detroit. I've been in Chicago. I've been in Cincinnati. I've been in Cleveland. So for me, it made more sense to focus on the areas that I knew better. Um, and I felt like I would be more credible and confident talking about these markets than trying to talk to you about a deal in, you know, Portland, Oregon. And I'm like, I've never been to Portland, dude. So <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, that's not a place where I can, um, you know, I, I can speak as confident. And the same thing with the brand. You know, if you're a brand and you decide, you know, you're Mountain Dew and uh, you, you now decide you want to get into country music or something like that. It's like, well, no one knows you for that. You know, that's not some a place where you've built credibility. Uh, but for me, it's like, OK, when we do our market research, yes, I can look at the same data you look at and we can say, OK, DFW is one of the top markets. Phoenix, one of the top markets. That's where we're going to be. But the next layer of that is why you? And that's the part that I think a lot of people miss is you can do all this analysis, but then you've got to put your own business in there. Why you? Why are you the right business or brand or company to fill this role? So for us. That's kind of how we landed on the markets that we focus on is we felt like we were uniquely positioned to win here. So if anyone is looking for the cash flow diversification and the, the, the benefits that apartment investing in the Midwest provides, that's a great fit. And then I would say, okay, well, why would they select the Midwest over 
Texas or Florida. And then I argue, well, we got less competition, right? So we're not, we're not seeing as many offers being bid up on our deals. Um, again, it's more stable. So we can buy for cash flow and not have to worry so much about a quick exit getting in and out three years, which I think a lot of people are used to. We can buy a great deal and just hold on to it because it's making good money for us. Um, but then also we can, you know, get creative on what our exit strategies are and how we decide to, to do a deal. So I think that gives us a bit of uniqueness. Um, we also don't have the, the, the weather issues. I mean, it certainly rains and it's cold as hell in the, in the winter, but, uh, we we prepare for that. We know what to expect there. You know, we're not going to get hit with hurricanes, um, which, you know, you, you're more uh, susceptible to um, along the East Coast and the Southeast. So there are things like that that I think are really appealing to people. And as investors, you have a brand. So you have to understand your business from that standpoint. So you can actually have a unique position in the marketplace so you can stand out and connect with people to grow your business. Let's go back into your personal side uh, on, uh, you know, throughout your real estate journey that you have been doing right now. Was there any proud moment that you believe that you're really, really proud of uh, that you did something either to an investor, to a property or to a business plan? Yeah, I would say, you know, when you, there's a couple of inflection points in the business, right? I, I think the first deal is so difficult for many people, right? The reality is, is that you can read all the books, listen to all the podcasts, attend as many meetups as you want. But until you do that first deal, one, you're not a real estate investor. And you can say whatever you want to say. I know I know there's some affirmations and things that people say about you know becoming the person you want to be. But if you haven't done it, it's hard to tell yourself you've got this multi-million dollar portfolio if you've never bought a property, right? So I think the first deal is really important to get the ball rolling. And more than anything, it builds some self-confidence. And if everyone's being honest, before you do a deal, you are thinking about, okay, what could go wrong? Am I missing something? So you have to understand your own situation and figure out what does it take to overcome that? That was something that we had to do. And part of the way I made that easier on myself on a small deal was I bought a duplex. And guess what? I had to live somewhere. So I just house hacked it. I'm like, all right, they're going to kick me out of my apartment and I need a place to live. Just buy a two unit, live in one unit, rent out the other. I'm technically a real estate investor now mm-hmm. and I'll get a sense of whether or not I like this. If I do like it, we can grow and scale. If I hate this thing, I'm just going to have to pick something else to do <laughs> going for it. Right. And uh, it went well. We, we bought a three unit building after that. And the three unit was the first like real investment. Right. So it was like the first time. I wasn't living there and, and managing it. Well, then I bought an eight unit building. So that was my first real commercial property. And then the next one was 192 units, which we partnered on. Um, but that was my first syndication, the first time I raised capital for, for a deal. And I would say that deal in particular was the one that gave me the most pride because as an investor, you do have these fears, these limiting beliefs, maybe some self-doubts, especially if you are raised from a place where money is not abundant, you know, and, and if you are, if you have crawled and, and scratched and clawed for everything that you have, you know, to go out there and do something that quite frankly seems unfathomable, right? To go out and, and buy a, almost a 200 unit apartment building. If you would have told me that a couple of years prior, I would have laughed at you, like, get out of here. But to change your mindset completely. And for me, that was the biggest thing was to be in that space and to say, okay, this is not about going out and buying a 200 unit apartment building. 
This is a matter of partnering with some other people. So one, I'm not doing it by myself. I have partners who have a little bit more experience to me. So I think that helps to make it a little bit easier. And then understanding my role on the team and being a part of a team made that very palatable and achievable for me. And I, I think without that notion, and you hear people say real estate's a team sport or uh-huh. you know, apartment investing is a team sport. I don't think I fully embraced the meaning of that until that first deal, until the first time I started really talking to investors and having someone wire money based on their confidence and trust in me, not just me by myself, but just obviously the deal, but certainly those people entrusted me, right? And I believe that there's a higher level of responsibility because, I mean, for people to, to trust you with their hard-earned money, I mean, that's money that they've earned, right? And for someone to wire $50,000 or $100,000, they they really are trusting you to to be able to execute. So I think for, for me, to be able to execute for those individuals, to have success in those deals, and to be able to have the confidence to say, okay, we put this out in the marketplace. The market responded and said, yep, we like what you have to offer. We believe in what you're doing. That gave us the confidence to build. And I will say for anyone listening, if you're in that place and maybe you're questioning whether or not you want to get into apartment syndication, whether or not you should invest passively in a deal, you're going to have to take that step. You're going to have to take that leap of faith to move the ball rolling. The worst thing that can happen is you get feedback from the marketplace, whether you're trying to raise money for your first deal or if you're trying to you know, invest passively, you're going to get some feedback. And it's not about wins and losses. It's not about success and failures. It's about feedback. And I'll, I'll go back to my corporate America days. At no point did we win, right? There's never a time where you did a campaign and you won and you guys stopped playing. I mean, this wasn't like a sport where we won a championship and Monday morning we took off for the off season. It's like, no, if we did a, a million dollar TV shoot, right? Um, we shot a campaign, it's a million dollar TV shoot. And uh, it wasn't like we aired the ad and then we all got to take a month off. Like we aired the ad. It got good reception. Maybe some sales took off, but every day it was like, okay, cool. How's it performing? It's like, wait a minute. We just, we just spent it. It doesn't matter. How's it performing? Now we got to tweak it. Now we got to edit it. Now we got to cut down 15s. So we were always working and always revising, always learning. And if you can remove this notion of you either win or you fail, or you succeed or, or whatever. And it's really just about get the feedback and adjust, get the feedback and adjust. That's going to help you remove this, this unnecessary pressure on yourself. If you take a deal out to the market and people don't like it, learn from it. What didn't you like? What, why, what could we have done differently here? What were your concerns? Okay. What if we structured a deal this way? What if we changed the loan and put terms on this way? You'll learn. You never want to be in a situation you're going to get burned. That's different. But I think you want to make sure you're learning and putting yourself in a position to have success. So we've been fortunate enough to do that. And I would say if you can do that first deal and learn from it as well, then that'll set you off on your course. Awesome. Awesome. That's a really good uh, advice in terms of working with a team and getting that first deal done, right? That's very important. I mean, you're right. I mean, until you do your first deal, you really don't know how actually it works, right? <laughs> Going through that process, you will be like a lot of aha moments. Oh, this is how it is. Oh, this is actually then there's another aha moment that, oh, this is not how easy it was, uh, how the guru has says it, how the gurus have described it, right? So <laughs> there's too many marketing just, flood out there saying that, you know, multifamily is an easy, easy yeah. investment to be done, which is no, not true, right? So yeah, just hire a property management company. You'll be good. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Awesome. Awesome, John. So why don't you tell our audience and listeners on about you and how to get in touch with you? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for us is, um, you know, we, we're we always looking at deals within the Midwest growing parts, as we talked about. So if anyone's interested in that, I'm happy to have uh, an offline conversation. And one of the things we did was we found that people, um, especially if you're starting out, whether you want 
be active and do your own deals, or you are interested in being a passive investor, it can be tough to, to just learn, right? And just get the information you need to learn. So we put together a sample deal package where we actually share some more insights on what we look for and what kind of questions you should be asking. Um, and then for the active investors, it's like, hey, here's a layout. You know, if you want to get inspired by this and figure out what stuff to put into your deal package, you can check this out. So that's available on our website. It's at kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. And uh, that'll be a great place to start. And then on top of that, we mentioned the podcast, Target Market Insight. It's anywhere you're listening to a podcast. We have great guests talking about multifamily and marketing tips to grow your investing business. So make sure you check us out uh, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Awesome, John. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, James. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audio book. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audio book completely free along with other valuable resources by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.